Welcome to the season three finale of Making It to the Mic, a podcast about how different voice actors got to where they are today. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and today's guest is David Quiqui. David is an engineer turned voice actor who loves doing character work and especially in video games. We talk about how his experience playing video games helps him when voicing them, the importance of staying on your own path in the industry, and so much more. So let's jump in. Here's my conversation with David Quigley. Hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, we always love to start by asking the same question, which is, how did you make it to the mic? Tell us about your journey and what did you do before voiceover? Sure. Um, so I started voiceover. Well, let's see. I officially started like it's my training. You know, I think that's always the question. Do I, do I start with when I trained or when I got my first job? But I started training uh, in 2017. So almost seven years ago at this point. And uh, it just kind of came about because uh, I had a lot of free time and I decided I need a hobby um, that wasn't just coming home from work and playing copious amounts of video games and um, video games and, you know, TV shows and animation was a big motivation and influence on my decision to look into this. So I actually went around the internet, did my own research about what does it take to do voice acting? You know, I looked at it and I'm like, well, if I want to do this, I want to be serious about it. And so I always started off with that intention of let's see if I can turn this into something that will, you know, make money and eventually replace my day job. I started with Edge Studio, which, uh, if you don't know, is a, you know, very widely known kind of like beginner VO starting kind of agency. And they have a lot of very reputable coaches and engineers. And, you know, they'll give you a lot of training, not just in the acting, but in across the entire industry. Uh, and then they set you up with some demos once they feel like you are ready. Right. They don't want to just take your money, mm -hmm. which is another thing I looked into because I came across my own, you know, share of demo mills in my research. But um, uh, I found this one to be very reputable, a lot of support from a lot of well-known people in the industry and got my first demo after about a year of training um, and a couple of breaks here and there. And then I just kind of started stumbling around, <laughs> figuring out what I'm doing. feel like I'm still doing that right now. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun since then. And, you know, I'm, I'm slowly making a lot more progress and I'm very happy to have, you know, started off the, the way that I have. That's awesome. So season one guest, Joey Shalio, is also a, an Edge Studio graduate. She worked there as well. Um, I actually think she got a job there first and then kind of used it as a place to continue her training. And I know they let her use the studio. So, yeah, Edge Studio is a great, a great resource. So I'm curious, did you have any acting training? Like, were you in plays or musicals in high school or kind of what sparked your desire to kind of pursue like an acting side of things? I absolutely do not have any background in acting. I love these stories. I feel like people are one of two ways. They're either avid musical theater performers or, you know, trained, highly trained theater people or they're like from the corporate side and they've had nothing. Or there's, I guess, a middle ground of people who did like one show in high school and kind of liked it, but never pursued it professionally. Yeah. I mean, like I did, you know, churches and play like plays in my church when I was like a little kid. I didn't do anything past like elementary school, though. Um, I was very much like a studious nose to book type kid, you know. National Honor Society High School, you know, went to, you know, an engineering school. I have a degree in engineering, right? And it's my day job that pays the bills and everything. Uh, and it was just mostly like a, 
hey, I really like this and I'm just going to try really hard. And I think it's, uh, I, I think for me, I really appreciate starting from essentially, you know, level zero and, and working from there uh, because I, like you were saying, there's a lot of people that you'll meet in classes, webinars, or even like people you look up to in the industry who were like, oh, you know, I have a theater degree and I tried Broadway and I couldn't make it. Or, you know, I, I did this and I got an agent, you know, 25 years ago sort of thing. And they all have very similar stories that begin with, I have training. Um, and I've, I've actually heard some people talk about how they're trying to play up you know, their quote unquote humble beginnings by saying like, oh, I don't have any, you know, formal acting training. Uh, I do have a degree in theater. And I'm like, no, you then you have formal acting training. Like, you know, I right. have a degree and I'm a glorified spreadsheets user. That doesn't necessarily help me behind the mic. It helps me, you know, behind the computer when it comes to, you know, organizing all the business parts of a voiceover, which I'm very happy about. But when it comes to just like the acting and performing, you know, I kind of had to start from from the beginning. I had to look out the look out for those intro to acting classes, you know, with nothing but uh, I just really want to be a voice in my favorite video game series, right? Without any of this, like, I don't know who Meisner is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know any of these sort of things, right? And, you know, I don't have that, you know, stage or film acting background either, which is slightly different acting than voice acting because of the lack of visual component there, right? So there's a lot of things that I had. I, I just learned specifically for voice acting. But then when I was transitioning to acting classes for like stage or camera, uh, I had to modify that and I had to be like, what? I have to memorize lines. I have to not play with my hair when I'm not talking, <laughs> like all these things. So it's it's a very different world that I, that, that they, they both play off each other and they're very useful to themselves. Uh, it's just that I went into this fully with, I want to be a voice actor, right? You know, I want to be behind the mic. I, I want to be things that I don't look like. I want to sound like those things that they wouldn't cast me in a Hollywood film. Um, but at the same time, like I am also fascinated by the camera world. And I'm like, when the time comes, you know, I would explore that more when I had the resources and the opportunities. That's so interesting because I do come from the musical theater world. And I very much at some point I had an agent who was like, can we submit you for on camera stuff? And I was like, no, 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 no. Thank you. I just want to like <laughs> sing and dance and that's it. Um, so I love that you're kind of thinking about dabbling in in that as a, you know, a next step. And and I also love what you were saying about, you know, you want to be able to do things that you don't look like, because I feel that very, very hard from the musical theater world. You know, there's at auditions you can go. And if you're listening and you're not somebody who's been in that world, you can get typed out, which basically they don't you don't do anything except stand in the room and they look at you and they go, mm, yes or mm, no just simply based on what you look like. And that was really tricky because I am lucky that my like physicality matches my voice, but I had plenty of friends who didn't, you know, for whatever reason, those things didn't line up. And they would get typed out in seconds. And I'm like, this is the most talented person. I know this person's voice is incredible. Or like, this person is the best actor I've ever seen. And yet they don't even get a shot. So I do love that kind of being behind the mic is you know, a little bit more freeing in that way. So I'm curious what your first home studio was like, because you were really starting from scratch. Did Edge walk you through what that was supposed to be? Or, you know, what was that process like to build your your first home studio? My first home studio, I think, along the lines with a lot of beginners, was out of 
you know, half of my closet. <laughs> um, still is to an extent, but now I'm using the entire closet. You know, we've upgraded. And uh, it, yeah, it's just a bunch of, you know, those 12 by 12 foam squares that you just kind of pat along the wall moving blankets, you know, and things like that. I, I And starting out, like, I had to just kind of, you know, partition half of my, you know, walk-in closet dedicated towards just the recording area. I had a music stand for a desk. So, like, I, I recorded off of, like, a laptop, and, you know, my mic was kind of crammed in there. I had very little space, could barely move, um, and it was completely dark. You know, my original sound quality was probably, like, you know, pretty boxy because of just, like, the, the small space and everything. But um, I recorded my first few jobs in my first year with that. And, yeah, Edge Studio did help me walk through kind of just, like, the basics of, you know, acoustics and, you know, dispelling myths um, of, like, you know, how to reduce sound and everything. I think that was probably one of the more important things because even nowadays, a lot of beginners are looking at products and, you know, I don't want to mention any by name, but like there are very popular products that are like, oh, this will help you, you know, reduce sound and you can turn your your empty room into studio quality recording and, you know, tech professionals are just like, no, that doesn't really cut it. And, you know, save your money. Don't spend the $60 on this little thing here and just treat the room right you know and things like that you know and people always talking about too it's just like oh you need a really expensive microphone the industry standards are all like a thousand dollars and something like that and it's like no start out like kind of small and it will get the job done you know this is your baseline minimum but you know if you're serious about it it does make sense to upgrade at a certain point and rather than making like one or two step upgrades i have the mentality of just like make that five or six step upgrade to like industry standard at least or close to that because you're in it for the long run you're not you know i'm more than a hobbyist that's my mentality so i'm going to you know drop the cash and you know invest in something that hopefully lasts me my entire career right right yeah that is a, a funny balance like you don't want to get the top of the line equipment right away when you're sort of figuring out you know, kind of, is this what I want to do? Do I want to keep doing this? But at the same time, you want to be competitive. So yeah, I think that's kind of a, a tricky spot, especially nowadays, if you're just starting uh, or you're towards the beginning of your career, because home studios are an absolute must now. Whereas maybe when you were starting out in 2017, it was maybe not as pushed right away. It, it actually was. I think one of the more important things uh, also is that uh, I'm, I'm based in Virginia, the D.C. metro area, which is not a uh, hotspot for a lot of um, the industry. You know, I think the main hubs are going to be New York, L.A., obviously, and then Chicago and Atlanta. And it's not that there's no studios around me that I can't go to. It's just that people don't necessarily have those connections as well as they do in New York or those other hubs. So right. it's very important, especially when you're starting out, right, um, that you have your own recording space that you can easily access because, you know, financially, you know, you, you need to book out studio time and you're going to have to pay that difference, right? And a lot of times starting out, you're not going to have that, um, you know, that income from those jobs. You know, my first job paid me you know, 50 bucks, right? So something like that. And that's not going to cover your studio fee if you had to go in somewhere else every single time. 
So right, that's true. Again, yeah, it's it's again one of those investment type things where you know people are dropping ten thousand dollars on studio bricks. Why? Like you live in LA, you can go into a studio. It's because you know over time you will make up that cost, and it's just so much more convenient, right? Everyone knows how bad traffic is. <laughs> you don't want to sit in there, especially if the, when they call you into the studio. Sometimes people are like, "Can't I just record from home, right, <laughs> in my pajamas?" And I think especially if you're going to start out on the pay-to-play websites, I mean, those clients are expecting that you have an ability to record from somewhere that they don't have to pay extra for. So once you got your demos, what what demos did you start out with, I guess, from Edge? What did you kind of walk away with? And, you know, what did you do kind of once you had the demos? What was your next step? So, yeah, the first two demos I got was my commercial. And then about half a year later, I recorded my narration demo, you know, my catch-all narration demo, which, you know, it involves like, you know, e-learning type stuff, explainer videos, museum type things. Um, And uh, actually, the week I got my demo back was also leading into the week of this this the first voiceover conference that I attended. It was the Mid-Atlantic Voiceover Conference in 2018. And so I was just like, all right, I got my demo. Shoot, I need business cards. <laughs> I went to Staples, <laughs> printed out a bunch of business cards real quick. And, you know, it was like really simple. I threw together a website on WordPress. And I'm like, I'm a voice actor, guys. You know, <laughs> and then, you know, showing up. I was like very fortunate that the the voiceover community is uh, incredibly welcoming <laughs> and, you know, very friendly. It's one of those things where it's just like, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm just going to walk up, going to say hi to somebody and they're going to ask me some questions and I'm going to do my best to answer them. Right. This is how you normally network. Right. Um, And so, like, I I did that. And, you know, I was like talking about this is my interests. This is who I am as a person. Right. You know, to get you to remember me. It's like, like, oh, like, you know. You can have that, like, what's an interesting fact about you? Like, oh, I'm a voice actor. And everyone's like, oh, my God, that's so cool. But then when you're in the voice acting world, you're like, what's the most interesting about you? I'm like, well, it would be that I'm a voice actor. But, like, (laughs) I think for me, um, networking has been probably one of the most beneficial things for me. Um, Talking to people, going around. Because, unfortunately, like, uh, there is that thing about, like, you want to talk to agents. You want to talk to producers and people who can give you jobs, right? That's how traditionally the networking works. And there's a little bit of schmoozing, a little bit of just, you know, being a friendly person. Um, But I found that just like getting to know fellow actors who can't necessarily hire you, but they can refer you. They can give you auditions. They can talk about you to their producers and agents and Mm, things mm -hmm. like that. Networking and attending conferences is how I got my first agent, how I got my first like $200, $300 paying job. You know, so it was was just like these big steps happening simply because I was talking to people and they're just like, oh, yeah, David does this. Right. Or he's interested in that. This is his kind of field of study. You take those jobs that they refer you to, you do a good job, their friend gets back to them, say like, hey, work with him. He was amazing. Can't wait to hire him again. And then it just kind of builds up from there, right? And it's just like there's that level of professionality you stick with, that level of friendliness that you keep exuding. And I think just like getting around that way has been the best thing for me, you know, more so than like direct marketing or like spamming social media with whatever it is I'm doing. Like, here's my coffee in the morning. Yay, coffee. Hashtag coffee. (laughs) It's like just talking with people, getting to know people in the industry. And you'll be surprised at how quickly you'll you'll befriend someone. Yeah, I think that's that's a really cool thing that I think a lot of people have mentioned, too, is, you know, being open, being open minded, being someone who is nice and friendly to work with and, you know, networking and all of that is is something in this industry that 
is different than some of the other kind of performance industries. I feel like a lot of times production companies, especially like once you get in, if you've done a good job, they're probably going to call you again. Oh, yeah, that's happened several times for me and for almost everybody that I've talked to, you know, and then getting repeat clients is that is the way people say like this is how you turn it from getting, you know, a, a hobbyist, you know, potential to a working potential, um, things like that. I will shout out to my very best friend from college who I hope is listening. And she's also just starting out. And she was just kind of talking about this, like what happens when you hit a little dry spell? And I said, honestly, that's when it's helpful to have these repeat clients because you've got a kind of basis of people that will come with time that all of a sudden, you know, you're like, oh, man, like it's been a week or two. I haven't booked anything. It's been a month. Who knows? And then all of a sudden you've got people like, hey, you did a job for me in 2019. Can we use you again? Or, you know, oh, it's time to record the blah, blah, blah updates for this regular thing that you do. That's kind of when I started to feel like, oh, I'm running a real business. Those dry spells just kind of hit differently. Like even if I was having a dry spell with auditions, there was still something coming in, something, some emails kind of coming up with job opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hit dry spells like almost regularly, I think like the summer. And I think it's important to hear that, that like any everyone, all of us are hitting dry spells, whether or not we are posting about it wildly on social media or we're keeping it to ourselves or we're just complaining to our, you know, voiceover network of friends. But everyone has dry spells. Everyone. Sometimes it can feel like you're the only one who's having one like at that moment. But I love, you know, kind of bringing to light like, hey, we're all having these different issues and these things are happening to all of us. It's not just you by yourself having this this moment. Yeah. And it, you know, what you mentioned about like, you know, might seem like you're the only one having this dry spell because, you know, social media is like where everybody posts their wins and victories. And there's all these threads in those groups about like posts, post what you've been working on, you know, let's celebrate each other. And it's great to see everybody else, you know, doing really, really cool stuff. And then you're just there being like, I haven't done anything. I got nothing to contribute except for you get a like, you get a like, (laughs) you get a like, all this kind of stuff. But I think the other thing too, is just like, depending on the field you're in as well, like what genres you kind of make your staple a lot of the times you can't post what you're working on Mm -hmm. you can share about like oh i got to i got to do this but they're like oh can we listen to something and you're like no you cannot like unless you work for this company and are going through their training modules right now like so you know i i get very excited that like you know two or three times a year i get one public facing project that i'm just like finally i'm gonna post this everywhere and i'm gonna milk this for me you know I'm the type of person that like I, I I very much appreciate the vocal support that I get from my peers and my friends and everything. So like when I don't really have any of that, it's like everybody else is like making it. And I'm like, I got nothing to show. And like, I wish I could show this. But, you know, deep down, I know that, that you know, it, it the times just kind of change when it comes to, you know, when I have something to share. But even if I don't, you know, talking with people, everybody is still very supportive because you can just tell them like, oh, I got a lot of stuff I can't share. And they're like, that's awesome. That's amazing. Right. You know, I wish I could see it, but I can't. But still, you're doing a great job. And like, I think that's the other thing, too, is just a lot of people will get discouraged because of like their booking rate is really low. And they're like, man, I only booked I got like 30 auditions and I only booked like two of them. And I'm like wow, you have like a 
7% book rate. So like, and I'm like, I'm lucky if I book like, you know, two and a hundred or, you know, sort of, sort of thing. And, you know, it's like, regardless of how many times I book an audition is when I hear back, like, Hey, we booked you. I'm just like, yes. Oh, I'm so good. Right. Right. As, as opposed to like, you know, those other 99 times where you're, you know, you, you need to learn to forget that you audition for those. My husband is a much more like numbersy person. Like I'm the first to say I'm I'm not good at math. I don't like it. And for a while I became obsessed with my booking ratio. I don't know why. I was like manually counting auditions on Voice One Two Three. I had a spreadsheet of a column for each agent, and I was like, "Okay, Josh, I've auditioned X number of times, and I booked this job. What's my booking ratio?" And he was like, it's this, but also what about all those jobs that just came in? Right, yeah. Without auditions from repeat clients or from a direct marketing email you sent or who knows what. And I was like, oh, true. So it's kind of an irrelevant number because that's really not the whole picture of a person's, you know, career or worth as a voice actor. Yeah, true. And then <laughs> if I wanted to get geekier about this, right, you can you can look at the expected value of each audition. Yes, that's what he was saying. What does it pay, right? You book one, you book a national commercial, that probably pays in the five five figures, right, for the usage for like a year or something like that. You book, like I, I love video games to death. And I, I if I could only book video games for the rest of my career, I would love it. I think it would be amazing. But they don't, they pay thousands at most. And most of the time, especially like in the non-union world, they pay much less. So it's like if I could book, you know, five video games and you could book two commercials and make more money than me, right? Right. And things like that. So like you want to look at like, you know, there's the expected value from the financial standpoint. And then there's the expected value of what does it mean personally to you? I personally don't care for commercials agents. I'm still taking every audition seriously. Please don't hold that against me. But I love character work and I I will cherish every audition from that. And when commercials come in, I'll I'll read it. I'll take it seriously, but it doesn't get me as excited. Right. Mm. And then I know people who are the opposite. They're like, I'm not going to touch, you know, audiobooks. I'm not going to touch corporate and stuff. But I love I would want to be like the, the, you know, to be on the radio as a commercial voice. I want to be on an ad for this and stuff like that. And like, that's what gets them excited. That's what gets them in the booth. And like, that's what gets them out of bed every day. And I think that's great. And everybody has their own motivations. And I think it's really important that you always remember that individually, why you got started in the business to begin with, right? If it is to make, you know, people always say, if it's to make money, you've come to the wrong job, right? But I think there's a lot to say about like, you know, when you think of it from a business perspective, like money is important, but having it as that main motivator, you know, when you look at, you know, as a business from the performance metrics, right, that's when you can kind of psych yourself out because you can dupe yourself into thinking that you're not doing as well um, as you think you are. And the opposite in, in some rare cases as well. For me, when I came to voiceover, it was because I wanted to find love and passion in performing again. I I had lost it in musical theater. I was so over it and I was done. And the booth really did, you know, light me up in a different way. And so keeping that perspective, you know, if you don't book any SAG jobs, okay, great. That's fine. If you book, you know, if if that's if your thing is that you really just want to get as many, you know, clients and jobs under your belt as possible. And that means that you're working a ton of smaller, lesser paying jobs. Great. Good for you. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are giving advice, and I don't necessarily think it's bad advice, but they say, you know, this is the way to do it. You you want to aim for this kind of work cycle, or you know, balance of jobs versus auditions versus you know whatever, and it just goes to show that everybody has their own way of working. Their own motivations and their own goals. So, like you were saying, like there are people who probably send out thirty auditions a day, right? And you know, book a decent amount, but they don't necessarily make the most off of each individual job. But it all stacks up because of the amount of jobs combined with what they're worth adds up to their living salary. And then you have those people who are very targeted and very focused at, like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what I want to do. And I am going to focus on that, and I'm not really going to waste my time with these other auditions or you know potential opportunities coming my way because it's not worth it to me, right? And both are valid. Both are absolutely valid, and I think it is you know very important that each person finds what works best for them, right? And I think it's good to explore each to an extent. Like I, I was on pay to plays for a bit, decided right now. Doesn't make sense for me to stay with it because I don't think I'll make my money back. It's too much time. It's too much stress. So I'm gonna table it for now. I might come back to it. I might re-explore it if I when I'm in uh, different circumstances. But for now, I've decided I'm going to take my approach, which has been working well for me. Right? You know, people could look at that and say, "Oh, you can do so much more," and I'm like, "I could." Or I can enjoy that time off and do other stuff that I really want to do. Something that I get wrapped up in. Is the idea of I can't again? I came into voiceover because I wanted freedom. I wanted to do things my way. I was so sick of having to wake up super early, go to these auditions, wait in line, stand outside, be freezing, go in, get typed out, or sing like eight notes literally. And when I came into voiceover, I loved that I could make it what I wanted. If I didn't want to do a certain genre, okay. If I wanted to just stay non-union, which I did for a very, 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 very long time, that was fine. It was my decision. It was, you know, I, I felt so much more independent and so much more in control. And then, you know, as you start to get into the Facebook groups and the social media, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because it's wonderful and supportive. And, you know, there's lots of incredible and wonderful, knowledgeable people there who can answer a question for you or can provide support or, you know, commiserate with you. But the other side of it is all of a sudden you're like, oh, gosh, I'm not doing all of those things. Should I be doing audiobooks? Well, I don't really want to do audiobooks, but everyone else is doing audiobooks. So do I need to do audiobooks? And mm. suddenly you can kind of lose sight of the career that you want to make for yourself. And if you're someone who's like, pay to play is not working for me and I'd rather use that time on a hobby, like, that's great. One of my very favorite acting teachers, Jen Waldman, who I've mentioned many times, always says, compare leads to despair. And it's so true. And I feel like we, you know, social media can make us lose sight of the fact that, you know, you're running your own business, you're in your own lane, you're doing your own thing, and that's okay. Yeah, I I always tell people who are relatively new, you know, it, it, I, I, I still look at myself like I'm new to voiceover. I've been doing this for like four, five years working. And I still think I'm new, right? But then I've, I've, you know, talked to people about getting started in voiceover and, you know, people have asked me, you know, I, I've been a panelist at a, at a, uh, at a convention um, or a conference and I'm just like, 
I, I still don't know why I'm here, right? You know, imposter syndrome, but also it's just kind of like five years compared to like the industry veterans of 20 plus. But like I tell people, don't get caught up in, you know, the hustle culture, right? I understand you're your own business owner and that is empowering and you are in control of your own future and destiny and all that. That's great. But you really need to find that balance and take it. There's no, there's no harm in taking it slow because who are you competing against in this industry? Honestly, there's enough work for everybody, right? And then everybody is supportive of one another and your time will come. You know, every voice, I want to say, or 99% of all voices has a use somewhere, right? And it's all about finding out what you're good for and then focusing on that. And if you're spending all your time, like you're saying, going after audiobooks, but you're like, I really don't want to go on audiobooks, but everybody else is saying I should do audiobooks because that's what makes me a voice actor, right? That's not necessarily true. What makes you a voice actor is the fact that you are voice acting, right? You know, it doesn't matter what you're voice acting, right? So long as you find that balance of like, how much time you're dedicating to your business or to auditions or for marketing and things like that. You know, I've talked to people who said, you know, for the past two years, I woke up at 4 a.m. and did two hours of marketing. And then I went to my day job and then I turned full time, you know, and I handed in my two weeks notice. I'm like, that's amazing. And I would never do that because I like to sleep or, you know, 4 a.m. is 4 a.m. is about when I'm going to bed anyways. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and so like I got to find out what works for me. Right. And it's clearly not waking up early. Right. But I'm taking steps to improve my career at a pace that works for me that I'm comfortable with. And, you know, like you were saying, comparing myself to other people, you know, is going to get really discouraging because it'd be like, you know, I have thought to myself at times like, man, if I only like spent more time seriously marketing, then, you know, maybe I would be making twice as much money or maybe I'd be full time by now. Right. Which could be true. But when I look back, it's just like, was I really in a position to be doing that, right? Would I really have enjoyed that time, right? The only thing that I'm worried about is ruining that joy that I have for what got me into voice acting to be like, this wasn't worth it, right? I've, I've been at places in my career where I'm just like, if I just stopped voice acting right now, I'd be so happy. I am so in the red, but I am so happy with like what I've accomplished, what I've done, what I've learned, who I've met. I don't want to lose sight of my, you know, that my, my spark, essentially. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I, I think for some someone like me, who's been at it a very long time, I think that's this year's 10, maybe or 11 years, it is, sometimes it is hard to find that spark and to remember like, oh, no, wait, 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 I love this. And I, I, I started this because I wanted something different for myself. And yeah, I love that. Somebody else mentioned that I think it was Allegra mentioned that same thing, like always wanting to keep the joy and the excitement of why you started out. I think that's really beautiful. So I'm so curious because I am also in the camp of uh, I don't I'm not a video game player and I'm not super interested in that genre either, partly because I don't have that fire for it, but also I'm intimidated by it. I think it seems very like challenging and time consuming and vocally demanding. So I'm so curious, though, what your experience has been in the video game side of things. Yeah, um, it's it's been great, honestly. Um, I have had only a handful of roles so far and even fewer than that that have actually, you know, the games have actually been released and I can actually talk about it. But I, I remember, you know, this is like, this was the reason why I got into it. You know, I looked up to voice actors in the video game sphere for years before I decided like, yeah, I'm also going to 
attempt to do this, right? Um, you know, I would go to conventions, attend their panels, ask them to do lines from certain things. You know, I was, I was one of those fans <laughs> for a while. And then, like, it was completely flipped around when, you know, I'm, I'm auditioning for these things. Like, I get excited to be like, I'm auditioning for this game? Oh, my God. They're not going to pick me, but oh, my God. Even seeing the audition sides for certain projects is like, wow, I've come so far, right? Because it's like the, the, the idea that you can finally be a part of something that has the potential to be, you know, shown and, you know, distributed to so many people across the world. And they would enjoy it, right? I think is the other thing, like, is, is just like so, so amazing to me. And video games are great because um, I, I've been playing video games for almost my entire life, basically. Um, and so it is really just another art medium. Games now these days, like there are games that are truly cinematic. They tell amazing stories. They have incredible acting. These are the types of things that like people just hear video game, like, you know, older generations, right? <laughs> Tend to think about video games and be like, ah, I'm going to write that off in my head, right? Not really understanding what it is because like the main video games that kind of make the media are like, you know, the shooters or like the competitive stuff or the fact that like kids are failing school because they're addicted to video games and things like that. But like video games are way more than that. They tell amazing stories uh, with very relatable and realistic characters. Uh, I would argue sometimes even more so than, you know, movies do because movies have to, you know, hire all the really attractive people to play high schoolers and like tell these, you know, kind of, you know, rehashed love stories or things like that, you know, and, you know, not to say that movies aren't a good medium for that kind of stuff. There are absolutely like amazing movies out there, but like video games are so, you know, they're cast to the side a lot simply because that people don't really understand how deep they can go. Because for me, video games were something that, you know, helped me through like, you know, very hard times in my life because you know you play a story and you get attached to a character and be like wow the way they wrote this character and the way the actor brought out the life in this character really is relatable and it's so realistic it's not like you're expecting them to act certain ways because like that's what's going to get reactions out of people but like they're acting in a very realistic way right they're real people and they're kind of written that way as well and that's really that, that that's really what kind of got me into it i think video game characters are something that i can very easily channel because i know what the final i can imagine what the final product will look like and um i can always imagine the player's reaction to when they encounter this particular person and how they would react to certain ways that the line is being read, which allows me to you know be like, all right, this will be my take one. This will be my take two sort of thing. Um, you know, how a, every bit of line in a video game helps create the world that it's set in as well. It's kind of like how, you know, for every movie or TV show, they re-record Walla, like the background noise, the background in the background, because they want it to make it sound like you're really on the streets of New York or you're really in LAX or something like that. And the video game world is the same. You're walking through the streets. There are merchants telling you to buy their wares. You know, there's people gossiping, you know, and things like that. And like, that's what makes everything kind of like super immersive and it just kind of takes you out from like your couch or your computer seat into the world of the game and really kind of make you feel like it's a part of it. Whereas opposed to like, let's say a TV show or a movie, it, it just, it just hits different in a way. And so like, that's where for myself, having being like a longtime consumer of the medium, I, I feel like I have this advantage of being able to connect fully with the intended audience. And I think that helps me give me an edge in like my auditions and things like that.
sometimes I'll audition for them and most times I actually just pass because it's just not it's not my thing and I know that. Um, but the ones I've auditioned for, I'm like, man, I have no point of reference, none. But like, send me a, you know, kids cartoon a la Daniel Tiger and I'm like, I got this. This I know. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and I feel like when I watch the, you know, stuff that people share, like the trailers, I'm like, man, this is real acting and real character development. So it is really cool. I feel like if I could get past the fear of will I make it through a four hour session screaming and being murdered by aliens. Now, I know that that's not all video games, but I don't really know the genre well enough to feel like I can give a great audition where I feel like confident about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, and that's totally understandable. And like half the time I will pass on a lot of other auditions for like commercials or brand names that I don't feel like I can connect with either. It's like, you know, most car commercials I will pass on. <laughs> I don't really care about cars. I don't really know much about cars. So like when I get this like audition for like, you know, like a Chevy or something like that, and they're like, like and you're really talking about getting into the car business. I'm just like, I don't have the passion. And I, you know, I listen back to my auditions. I'm like, you can kind of tell, I don't really, I'm not really into this. Like yeah. as much as like I have confidence in my acting ability, like there's this level of connection that, you're going to get a lot better from someone who's just like, yeah, I love cars. I'm a motorhead, which a lot of people I know make a lot of money out of because you get you get lifts, you get tags, you get all these sort of updates and you just get, you know, so many things go on. And then the usage fee and everything. It's great. I know for me, it's, you know, I could look at it as like a wasted opportunity, but like how much am I going to be investing into a genre that I'm not really all too passionate about? And again, your time, I mean, the, the, you know, the cost of time, the cost of your time spending maybe what would be, you know, 10 minutes on a great video game audition. And now you're spending 20 minutes just like researching Chevy trucks. And you're like, I don't even really care about Chevy trucks, but here I am. I'm going to try to do a good job. And then, you know, you're, you're just really not feeling it. And, and I think that's important. Like, it's okay to pass on auditions. I pass on a lot of auditions and some of them I'm like, I literally open it and I go, I'm not going to book this. And I just delete it. I don't even think about it. I just get it out of there. Oh, yeah. No, I, I that happens a lot to me as well. It's just like, especially because, um, you know, we sometimes I'll get auditions that are just like, you know, we want someone who's like 35 to 50. And I'm just like, that's kind of like on the upper range of my, you know, like I'm, I'm not I don't feel like I, I feel like more I'm more on the younger side. But like sometimes I'll see like the minimum age and like I know I can kind of like lower my voice and kind of imitate that but i'm just like it's a little just too far out because like they're probably going to be talking about like medicine right like this helps me with this problem that i hope i will never have until i'm like 60 right and i don't think that's going to come across well if i have to put on like a voice which is you know you know talking about the whole like voice actor thing i think a lot of times you've, you've probably gotten like what kind of voices can you do right and I, I i tell people i'm like i do three main voices when i audition for things including for video games i do myself I do slightly younger me and I do slightly older me. Mm, mm-hmm. And like that's because that's exactly 90% of what you book, especially when commercial when doing commercials, doing narrations and even for characters, they're looking for real people. And I think there's a so important. Yes. And I think there's so much about even the different genres like in, in animation and character work where you're just like, you know, you, you want to play a child or stuff like that. But like you want to play all these different types of character archetypes, the nerd, the jock, the sassy person, this, you know, whatever. But first and foremost, you should the easiest character for you to really look into and master is yourself. Like we're all different characters. 
And these are all different characters when plopped into, you know, a different medium, they'll play out in a certain way, right? You've Everyone has probably seen a show or a movie or played a game and been like, that person is exactly like me. Like I would behave exactly like that or very similar. And that's because like you're a real person and they're trying to write real people. And like, I, I, I sometimes think to myself, like if I were in a movie or a video game or a, you know, uh, a TV show and like that character is David Queequeg, it is me. What would I look like? What would I sound like? Right. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you need to understand, I think, about yourself first and foremost, before you try imitating other types of characters. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about your experience um, as a talent who speaks Japanese as well and, and kind of see where how you kind of got into doing both languages and if, you know, how you feel like you can get clients and, and all that kind of stuff. This is very interesting. Uh, I am Chinese-American, but I speak Japanese. So I get a lot of confusing things from both sides of saying, David, you're Chinese. You must speak Chinese. No, I do not. Or, David, you speak Japanese. You must be Japanese. No, I am not. So it's a big clarification that I have to have for people. Um, but I am actually uh, self-taught in Japanese. Oh, that's so cool. I actually started studying Japanese around the same time I studied started studying voiceover. And it wasn't with the intention of doing voiceover in Japanese. Obviously, I have a huge love for anime and Japanese video games. And that's kind of how it got me started with learning Japanese. I was like, man, I want to play these games without subtitles. So I just started learning the language on my own because I was like, I want to, you know, enjoy this medium without waiting for somebody else to translate it for me. And as I started studying by myself, I got super into the language. Uh, I did have kind of like a, a higher starting point because I do have a Chinese background in what I learned about Mandarin and Chinese characters. And they're very related, a lot of overlap. I just got really into the language itself. And I started really just kind of started studying for the sake of studying it. And I, I went hard. I like come home after work and studied for like three hours a day wow. for like a whole year. And then I, I kind of studied my way up into like fluency or like, you know, conversational fluency to, to, to play air on the safe side there. Right. But um, as far as like voiceover work in Japanese goes, um, I actually only get like one or two jobs a year doing stuff in Japanese. And uh, I'm okay with that. Because, uh, honestly, I'd rather have someone who is, like, actually Japanese going for these a lot of these roles. Because a lot of the times, you know, because I'm interested in character work. So if they are casting, um, you know, this person is Japanese. And, you know, it's very crucial and important to the story that they're Japanese because they speak Japanese. They're from this. I'm just like, okay, I speak Japanese. I could probably pull this off. But I think you'd get a better read, a better, you know, um, delivery from someone who can really relate to the background of this character. There's actually a job uh, earlier this year I passed on that because it was, this this was a job in English, but it was about the, um, it was Remembrance Day in Hawaii. That's when they remember the bombings of Pearl Harbor or the Japanese internment camps around World War II. And they were going to play a video about, you know, the experience of the, you know, the Japanese citizens back then or Japanese American citizens back then. And as I was talking with the producer, I was just like, listen, I'm not Japanese and you need, you need a Japanese person to say this because that is their story. That's not my story to tell. Mm. Now, if they wanted me, they're like, we just need someone Asian. I'm like, you need to get better. <laughs> you need to go deeper than this one, right? There, there are cases and, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much. About, I could talk about this for a while, but like, you know, the, the nuance 
of like when they're casting someone of a specific race? How specific do you want to go? Or is it just good enough that, you know, they match the skin tone or that they're from that country sort of thing, right? And I, I believe that it, it is a case-by-case -case decision. As someone who does speak Japanese, I have played Japanese characters speaking Japanese in a Japanese accent because I can pull those off authentically uh, because I've studied accents, I've studied Japanese, and I can, I can do all of that, I believe, as well as a native speaker could. And that works for those project projects, but then there are certain projects that you probably are better off having someone who grew up in that country or who has gone through the experience of, of these sorts of things. So I don't necessarily push my, you know, Japanese part too much. Like it's there and it gets me work and it helps me out because it's like, oh, you know, if I'm doing voices for a Japanese IP, but in English, they usually give me the original Japanese and then the English translation. And I can use my knowledge of the language to ask questions, to clarify things and to give a better performance. But I'm not at the level or at the position where I am currently to really try and, you know, push it harder because um, it's just not worth the effort, I think. I think better people are always going to book, right, when it comes to delivery and things like that. But, you know, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm okay with that. And, I, and I'm fine with that. Right. And thank you for, for what you said about, you know, specific ethnic and racial cultural casting, because I, I think that's... That's a nuance that's still very, I don't know, volatile is the right word, but it's still very... It, it gets a lot of people on edge when it's mentioned. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and sort of, I don't want to say confusing either, because it's it shouldn't be confusing, but there's still a lot of just nuance to it that's, oh, well, we just want someone Asian. Well, that's a broad, giant area of the world and of, of people. So... Right. That's a really interesting point. Have you noticed that coming up in in video games or in the in your character work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um I've had to turn down some auditions because my agent sees Asian in the casting specs, but then what she sends me is, "Oh, we're looking for someone who's South Asian." And I'm like, "Ah, I am not Indian, Pakistani, that sort of stuff." Um that's what they're looking for. And I told her that, and I'm just like, "Thanks for sending this, but I don't identify as South Asian. This is usually what they think about when they say South Asian, Asian. And, you know, so now, now like now my agent knows. So now she'll send South Asian, you know, castings to her South Asian people on her roster, and I'll get the East Asian stuff, right? I definitely, you know, there, part of me kind of feels like, oh, did I come in at the right time because, you know, stop Asian hate sort of thing going on. So a lot of people were pushing for, you know, Asian representation and visibility and things like that, that a lot more roles for Asian people came in, which created more opportunity for me and, you know, people of similar backgrounds for myself. And, you know, a lot of people I've seen on Twitter and things like that kind of angry they're just like oh you know all these minorities or pocs are getting these opportunities because of this you know push for ethnicity and representation i'm just like well it's not a bad thing but at the same time you know like i'm at a very desirable point right from when it comes to casting right and even now still it's just like a lot more opportunities are being created for us right and i i think that's great because a lot of opportunities are being created for um, other people as well. Like the fact that I even like they're writing South Asian characters right into into these shows or into these games. I'm just like, wow, that's great. <laughs> like I, you don't see that a lot. And you know, it's it's great to kind of see more of that. You know, and I've always said, 
as as glad as I am to see all these like you know forward facing like POC only casts or like you know full Asian cast, full black cast or Latino cast and things like that for productions. I think it's amazing and it's great. I think for me, I get really excited when I just see people of color in there, and it's not important that they're a person of color. You know, I can speak from Chinese perspective because I'm Chinese, but like, you know, you're gonna see people who are Chinese cast as doctors or tech people, or you know, martial artists or <laughs> things like that, or like, you know, walking around Chinatown, and it's just like, dude, you go to a McDonald's and there's just like a bunch of Chinese people there too. Like, I, me and my Asian friends went to McDonald's a few nights ago at like midnight, and we were just destroying burgers and fries. Like, we, like people of color, Asian people, Chinese people, we exist normally, and I think that's the one thing to me is very powerful, that it is not important. You know, it's it's more like a diversity push if they're just like casting a bunch of POCs, but then very specifically leaving them in quote unquote where they belong, right? Or where traditionally or historically they've been given roles, right? But it's even more powerful to me if that they're just casting supporting characters, background characters, you know, lead characters who just so happen to be a person of color because that's not important to the story. What's important is that these people exist and that's what they're trying to, you know, and that helps, in my opinion, bring that to the forefront of seeing this is what diversity is. It's not getting a bunch of people and separating them. It's getting a bunch of people and mixing them together. I feel like that is a wonderful note to wrap up on. I think that was such a beautiful way to put it. So thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Do you have any last words of advice for someone who's maybe just starting in the industry or someone who's got their demos and they're just not quite sure what to do next? Oof, man, this is always the tough question, right? Like words of wisdom to give people. Um, I think ultimately, I think I might have mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but like, don't forget why you're doing it, why you're doing this. For me, I like to joke around. It's because I want to be famous, right? That's why I'm in the character sphere. Like, this is my goal and I'm always going to reach for it and I'm going to take the path that will take me there. Whatever your goal is, never lose sight of that and keep walking towards it, right? And if you're taking a different path from everybody else, you know, that's that's because it's taking you towards where you want to go, right? If someone says, no, go this way because I'm over here, and this is how I got here, right? That's not necessarily going to help you out for what you want. So always understand that voiceover in your career is about you and what you want out of it because no one is going to look at you or no one should be looking at you and saying you're doing it wrong, right? There are clearly wrong ways to do it, but there's so many different right ways to do it. And it's all about finding your right way and wherever that leads you, where you want to go. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your video game knowledge and your thoughts on, you know, being a person of color in the industry. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. This was a lot of fun. It was great. I love David's thoughts and perspective about representation in voiceover and how it would be great to see more characters of color just existing instead of being put into little boxes or having it be an important plot point, and how we should all do what's best for us in terms of our careers and not get too bogged down in booking ratios or feeling like we have to do something just because other voice actors are doing it, whether that be doing a specific genre or a marketing technique. If you want to connect with David, I'm linking his website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my website, makingittothemic.com. Thanks again to all my incredible guests this season. Please follow me on Instagram at Stephanie Pam Roberts VO so we can stay connected while I take a little break. 
I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer and thanks so much for listening to Making It to the Mic. Thank you.